If you would, let's turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And for our scripture reading this morning, we'll be just uh, verses 1 through 9. And then the study will be entitled, Should We Hate False Doctrine? 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. This, also, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that you've given. Thank you for this, for your word. Thank you for these um, messages that we have today. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here and giving us the ability. Thank you, Father, for your word and pray that you'll just give me the words to speak, that uh, we might receive a blessing from your word as we study the things of false doctrine and ask you, Father, just to give me the ability and the strength to be about your business and to bring your uh, word out where we can all understand it. And just pray, Lord, that you will bless your church here and your churches everywhere and we'll give you the praise and honor and glory for all things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Should we hate false doctrine? <clears throat> this question should be easy to answer for anyone. The history of false doctrine goes all the way back to the fall of man. Genesis 3, 4, and 5 is was with the beginning of false doctrine, of lies. And it has continued to this present day. The Lord's churches need to preach against false doctrine and what the results of false doctrine does to churches today. And I'm glad to have been privileged to be a member of churches that teach on a regular basis against false doctrine. Many so-called churches today do not teach strong, sound doctrine, and the result is false doctrine comes in. Some churches have a little false doctrine, and others have a lot. Most Sovereign Grace Baptist churches preach against false doctrine, and for the most part is the reason they are small in number. Most people today cannot endure sound doctrine and for the most part do not want it. We're in 2 Timothy, turn to um, chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 through 4. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. 
and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. If you notice there in that verse 2, it says, preach the word. Now, what is the word? It's this Bible. Everything in it is the word of God. Every part is the word of God. We are to preach every part of the word of God. The entire Bible is the word. And nothing that I'm going to teach this in this lesson will be new to anyone. But I want to bring out six points to consider as we study this particular, um, this particular study here. First, we're going to look at the definition of what is false doctrine. Then we're going to look at quite a few types of false doctrine. We're going to look at how false doctrine get into the church. What happens when false doctrine gets into the church? How to keep false doctrine out of the church? And then we're going to end with examples of sound doctrine. False doctrine should never be found in a New Testament, independent, sovereign grace, landmark, missionary, Baptist church. Should never. Because we've got the truth. We need to teach the truth and preach the word. Now, we're going to find, we're going to see quite a few different types of false doctrine here. As we begin, we're going to look at the definition of false doctrine. False doctrine is teaching contrary to the word of God. In the, in the, the, um, in the word of God, it is false instruction or teaching. That's what false doctrine is. Author, the author of false doctrine is Satan. That's it. Satan is the author of false doctrine. If you look at John chapter 8. <clears throat> we'll look at verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So everything that Satan teaches is false doctrine. Because he can't teach or preach or show sound doctrine. It's not in him to do it. So he is the father of false doctrine. Anything other than the true word of God is a lie. The word false in the New Testament, is always attached to either a false witness, false Christs, false prophets, false apostles, false accusers, false brethren, false teachers, false witnesses. When you look up that word, that's what follows that false, because there are all of these things, and it is showing that there are those out there that will bring forth false doctrine. So before we start on bringing out the types of false doctrine, let's read Galatians 1, 8, and 9. Galatians 1, 8, and 9. It says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, 
So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. He said that twice, didn't he? There's a reason why he said it twice. Because he wanted the Galatian church there, those at Galatia, to understand that there are those who do not preach the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and they will be accursed. And I know this is talking about the gospel, and that is the good news, that of Jesus Christ. But we can use these two verses to also acknowledge that those that preach any false doctrine will also be accursed. The word accursed means a religious ban or excommunicated. And it is a serious matter that we cannot be take, that cannot be taken lightly in the Lord's churches today. Now, as we look, and I've got quite a few lists here. Hopefully I won't bore you with these, but a lot of these we know what, what it is. And I've only, I've, I've got 16. And that ain't even nowhere close to what there is in false doctrine out in the world, in the churches today. False doctrine. First I've got on here, it's pretty simple, and that is pagan holidays. The word pagan means agnostic, unsure, doubtful, just like Xmas, Easter, and Valentine's Day are all pagan holidays. They have all been commercialized, and they all began with Catholicism. The reason I bring this up first is because we just went through a couple of them and still have one next month that um, will be one of the big ones. <clears throat> But if we acknowledge, promote, or allow these holidays into the church in any way, we are promoting false doctrine. Plain and simple. These are not, these are pagan holidays. They were brought forth from pagan beliefs. Just like Brother Kelly brought out in his message that if you have it in your heart and you bring it into the house of God, you're bringing it into the, into the church. And that's just, and I agree 100%. If you've got it in your heart, if you like those types of things and you don't have a problem with certain things of those, then you're bringing it into the church. It is false doctrine. <clears throat> Baptismal regeneration. We know very there's very many uh, denominations that use baptismal regeneration, Catholicism, Campbellism, whatever. Uh, these are those that do, and there's many others. So if you look in the Word of God, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, we all are very familiar with these verses. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I didn't see anything in this about baptism. It's not there. They often quote those that uh, believe in baptismal regeneration. They often quote Acts 
2.38. It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> the word repent implies sorrow for sin committed against God before baptism. They also leave out verse 37, which shows that the unbeliever first hears the word and is pricked in their heart. And that is that pricking is a change of the heart in order to repent. In verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then he tells them what they're to do. Repent and be baptized. Not for salvation, because you're already saved if you've already been pricked in your heart and you are truly repentative of that, then it is you're already saved. <clears throat> then it says there, like I said, they received the word and were baptized. Third, teachings of Catholicism. And that's practically all the teaching that they do. They believe in the real presence of Christ in the communion. They believe God forgives mortal sins through the confession, which is performed through a priest. They hold to authority of scripture and tradition given to the Pope and bishops. They don't want you to have it, but they give it to them because they're going to uh, bring out what they want you to hear. They reverence saints and the Virgin Mary. They give special honor to saints, and that is the people in heaven, because they believe that saints can pray for them directly to God. Now, who does that leave out? Who are we to pray to? According to the scripture, we're to pray to Jesus Christ. Christ is our mediator to God. So what if they're using these saints to get to pray through or whatever, they're leaving Christ out. That's false doctrine. <clears throat> okay. We have Arminianism that is brought into the churches. There are some churches that, that thrive and are based on Arminianism. And a lot of these definitions I got from on the internet through Wikipedia or whatever, so... Some of them may be a little off or whatever from what we understand it to be. But Arminianism has four, five points that they go by. Just like we have five points in the doctrine of election. Their five points are number one, partial depravity. Humanity is depraved but still able to seek God is what they believe. We are fallen and tainted by sin, but not to the extent that we cannot choose to come to God and accept salvation with the help of anticipated grace from God. Given such grace, human will is free and has the power to yield to the influence of the Spirit. That's their partial depravity. Number two, conditional election. God only chooses those whom he knows will choose to believe. No one is predetermined for either heaven or hell. Number three, unlimited atonement. 
Jesus died for everyone. Even those who are not chosen and will not believe, Jesus' death was for all of humanity and anyone can be saved by belief in him. False doctrine. Number four, resistible grace. God's call to be saved can be resisted and or rejected. We can resist God's pull toward salvation if we choose to. That's Arminianism. <clears throat> Number five, conditional salvation. Christians can lose their salvation if they actively reject the Holy Spirit's influence in their lives. The maintenance of salvation is required for a Christian to retain it. And that's, you know, that's pretty much exactly opposite of the doctrines of grace. Arminianism. That's what's being taught in a lot of churches today. A lot of churches. Another one, antinomianism. The word antinomianism comes from the Greek antinomos, that is against law. It is the unbiblical practice of living without regard to the righteousness of God, using God's grace as a license to sin, and trusting grace to cl cleanse of sin. In other words, sin, since grace is infinite and we are saved by grace, then we can sin all we want and still be saved. Now this is wrong because even though as Christians we are not under the law, even though we're not under the law, what does it say? Romans. <clears throat> um, let's look at chapter 6, verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. But we still fulfill the law in the law of love. Look over at Romans um, 13. Romans 13, verse 8. Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse number 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We are to love God <clears throat> with all our heart, soul, and strength, and mind, and our neighbors as ourselves, as Luke 10. Let's just turn there. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. Luke 10, verse 27. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And thy neighbor as thyself. It sounds like we're to put everything to God, isn't it? Sounds like everything we do is to be towards God. <clears throat> and thereby avoid the offense of sin which cost God his only begotten son. Paul speaks against the concept of antinomianism in Romans uh, 6 and verse 1 and 2. Romans 6 verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We're not to sin more so that we might receive grace more. It's against the word of God. We are not to use the grace of God as a means of sin. <clears throat> Instead, we are to be controlled by the love of God in that way, 
bear the fruit, then that we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be the desires of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Antinomianism. It's being taught in a lot of churches today, too. Another one, prosperity theology. Turn to Luke once again. Luke chapter 12. And look at verse 15. <clears throat> Guess I better get to 12. Okay. 12, 15. And he said unto them, Take heed. And beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Well, that totally contradicts the prosperity theology that is being preached a lot in these uh, big churches today. And this is also referred to as prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the gospel of success or seed faith. It is a religion, belief among some Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's health and material wealth. Sounds like work for salvation to me. Material and especially financial success are seen as a sign of divine favor. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he will deliver security and prosperity. The doctrine emphasizes the importance of personal empowerment, proposing that it is God's will for his people to be blessed. The atonement is interpreted to include the alleviation of sickness and poverty which are viewed as cursed to be broken by faith. This is achieved through donations of money, visualization, and positive confession. Sounds like pretty familiar, isn't it? I see that a lot. <clears throat> Another one, Pentecostalism. Spiritual gifts, Faith healing, speaking in tongues. Protestant charismatic Christian movement that emphasizes direct personal experience of God through baptism with the Holy Spirit. It is distinguished by belief in the baptism in the Holy Spirit that enables a Christian to live a spirit-filled and empowered life. This empowerment includes the use of spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, and divine healing, because of their commitment to biblical authority, spiritual gifts, and the miraculous, Pentecostals see their movement as reflecting the same kind of spiritual power and teachings that were found in the apostolic age of the early church. What these don't understand 
is that those miracles, gifts, and all that other ended with the apostolic age. They're not in today's society. It ended when the last apostle passed away. So they think that they're doing according to the way they did it back then, but that has been done away with. False doctrine being taught in these, to these Pentecostalisms. Another one, non-denominationalism. That is the set-aside doctrine so we can all get along together. It stands in contrast with a religious denomination. Religious people of a non-denominational persuasion tend to be more open-minded in their views on various religious matters and rulings. Some converts toward non-denominational strains of thought have been influenced by disputes over traditional teachings in the previous institutions they attended. Basically saying, I don't like what this Baptist preached, so I'm going to go over here to a non-denominational church so I don't have to worry about what the Baptists teach. It's pretty much what this is. Non-denominationalism has also been used as a tool for introducing neutrality into a public square when the local populace is derived from a wide-ranging set of religious beliefs. Some also believe that this is the true way of Christianity. They're doing away with this, aren't they? They're doing away with the Word of God. So let's, let's just take a pen knife and let's cut this out. Let's take a pen knife and turn and cut this out. That's what they're doing. Basically, are they, they are not preaching the Word of God. <clears throat> Another one, acceptance of homosexuality in the churches, so-called churches. Many denominations now accept homosexuals into their congregations and even into their pulpits. Liberal Baptist congregations are also acceptable up to this. We're going to read some verses, Leviticus. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 18. look at verse 22 thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind it is abomination turn to chapter 20 verse 13 if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman both of them have committed an abomination they shall surely be put to death their blood shall be upon them Romans, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Romans 1, 26, 27. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And there's some others we could go to, but we won't. <clears throat> the acceptance of homosexuality is growing each and every year in a lot of so-called churches and a lot of assemblies, let's say. 
and it is growing because you can see on the on uh, in the um, on the news in, in the, over the internet and all kinds of things where these particular denominations are seeing that they need to ex- be acceptance of that in order for their so that we're not excluding anybody. Well, the Word of God doesn't teach that. What about women leaders of the church? Many denominations are also acceptable to having women pastors, deacons, officers of the church, song leaders, whatever it might be. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. I don't see anywhere how that uh, a husband, uh, a, a woman can be the husband of one wife. Well, I take that back. Nowadays, you can. <laughs> Nowadays, you can. That it's looked upon. That so, yes, I guess they can. But let's also look at First Timothy, chapter two. <clears throat> And um, look at verse number 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in, in silence. Pretty plain and simple there. Women, are to, women have a place in the church. The Word of God explains that. <clears throat> but they are not to have the leadership <clears throat> part in the church. Now, <clears throat> another one. And I've touched on both of these recently, and I it just when I hear people say these two um, statements, it it really rubs me the wrong wrong way. God loves everybody. Roman nine thirteen, as it is written, Jacob Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Psalm eleven five, the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Then you can go to John three sixteen through eighteen. Be sure you read. 16 through 18, you've got to get the whole context there for this where it says where we know that God does not love everybody. The other statement, God wants to save everybody. Turn to Matthew 24. Let's read verse 31. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. What does it say? He will gather his elect. Well, we've already seen that God does not save anyone but his elect. So that has to be exclusive to God wants to save everybody. It's exclusively not that part of it. Um, but it is his elect that he, that he will save. God will only save his elect, and not everybody is his elect. I Googled, Googled the question, what does God want us to do? What does God want us to do? And it gave the, the part I saw, it gave ten things that God wants us to do. Forgive others, look after widows and orphans, keep ourselves pure, seek first His kingdom and righteousness, serve others, give, share the gospel, manage the earth, pray, apply His word. That's the ten things that they say 
God wants us to do. When you look at the definition of want, it is desire, request, lacks, or needs. Does God desire, request, or lacks anything? First, where in the Word does it say God lacks or needs anything? There's not a place in there. God knows and sees everything. These ten things, which are not bad things. I mean, there's a lot of this that we need to do. Probably every ten, all ten of these. But all ten of these things are listed as what God commands or instructs His people to do, not ask or request to do. He commands us to do His Word. If it's taught in this Word, in this Bible, we're required to do it. Or not do it. There's things that He requires us not to do. But what it says here, we are required to do. He doesn't request it. He didn't ask, well, if you feel like doing this, then I'd like for you to do it. But to say God wants to save everybody is false doctrine. It's false doctrine. What about idolatry? All kinds of idolatry. Revelation 2. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Idolatry seems like that it was in the church at Pergamos. According to this verse, the church at Pergamos had a lot of idol worship. They had the doctrine of Balaam and and of the Nicolaitans. Probably both very similar, not knowing for sure. But Balaam taught Balak, cast a stumbling stone, stumbling block. What is that? False doctrine. Before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. And I looked at and read some of the commentaries uh, say that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans came from the proselyte deacon Nicholas of Antioch found in Acts 6.5. But nothing that, it, that the Word of God teaches in about him or anything, uh, there's nothing to really back that up. That's just what commentators say. But these must have had an influence in some of the churches, the early churches, Needless to say that both were hated by Jesus Christ. As the word of God says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. False doctrine. Whatever that false doctrine was at Pergamos, that idolatry God hated. What about opinions of men? Is that false doctrine? Depends on what their opinions are. Man has a lot of opinions about the Word of God. That's why we have over 450 different translations. And the world's Christian encyclopedia estimates around 47,000 different denominations in the world today. I don't know if that's true or not, but possibly. 
It would be safe to assume that not all of those believe or teach the same doctrine. Thus, there would not be 47,000, would they? The opinions and thoughts of men are vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse number 20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. The thoughts of the wise is talking about the thoughts of men. Just their thoughts can be very vain. They can be vain. Uh, also quickly go to Isaiah. Chapter 55. Verse number 8. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Opinions of men, thoughts of men, are not like the thoughts of God. So, opinions of men can be brought in as false doctrine into the Lord's churches. What about astrology and, and psychics? For the most part, you don't see much astrology and psychics in churches today. It may be in there, maybe the big ones. I'm sure there's a lot of, of those in those churches will uh, seek their astrology things each day. Or they may go to a psychic to see what's going to happen. Well, that's false doctrine. But sometimes that can, can have a tendency to come into the Lord's churches. We need to keep that out of as, as much as possible. But if it is done on a regular basis in the members of the church, it will filter into the church. Now I want to hit a couple more here. I look at these and uh, uh, there, there are some studies of Amil and post-trib. And I want to hit both of these, just give a description of it from what I have found. All millennialists reject the view that Jesus will physically reign on the earth for exactly 1,000 years. Rather, they interpret the 1,000 years as a symbolic number, not as a literal duration of time. They hold that the millennium has already begun and is simultaneous with the current church age. They hold that while Christ reign during the millennial millennium, is spiritual in nature at the end of the church age. Christ will return in final judgment and establish a permanent reign in the new heaven and new earth. That is our millennium list. And we are a, a pre-mill. What about post-tribulationist? They believe that there is a resurrection of both dead and living believers in Jesus Christ at the end of the age, the end time. They believe that Christians will remain on the earth throughout the seven-year tribulation period, which includes the last three and a half years, which some call the Great Tribulation. They believe that the saints will be gathered after the seven-year tribulation period and not before. That's post-tribulation. That's just two that I wanted. There's a bunch more. Brother Kelly can tell you that. There's a bunch more of them out there. What about mission boards? Mission boards. Missionaries are to go out from a local Baptist church. The Word of God teaches that it is to be a local 
church. If mission boards are supported, who are the individual churches supporting? Who, which, which missionaries are they supporting? Do they have a list that you can choose to, to support? I don't know. What do those missionaries teach? Are they, do they teach false doctrine? Who knows? How many different denominations do the, these mission boards support? It could be multiple denominations that they may support. <clears throat> and who do the missionaries report to? There's a question. Do they report to the mission board? Do they report to individual churches? I, I don't know. More than likely, they report to that board. <clears throat> Missionary, missionaries are to go out from a local church and are subject to the authority and discipline of that local church. Other churches have the opportunity to support financially and prayerfully those whom they choose to support. That's the way mission work is supposed to be done. Some or all of these false doctrines and many others can come into one of the Lord's true churches today. It could happen anywhere, and it probably is happening somewhere today. And that's just the ones that I've put down. And like I said, there's many more. You can, you can, you can go online and you can put on in anything that you want to, and there will be multiple things that come up and explain to you what this is or that is, just put a question in there and it will come up with all kinds of things. But that is what I've brought forth here. Now, we've only got about six minutes and I'm going to stop right here. The next point is how false doctrine get, how false doctrines get into the church. How, did it, how is it brought in? We've looked at some of these. How do they come in? <clears throat> 